Now, we've been talking about the idea of WDJD, what did Jesus do? We talk a lot, you know, when, when struggles come up in our life or when we face temptations, when we face difficulties, uh, years ago, the idea with the bands and, and all these things, WWJD, what would Jesus do, was the question that we challenged people to ask themselves. What would Jesus do in this situation? And it's awesome to have that thought, but there are, when, when you get done thinking about that, it's time to take action. And that's what this whole series has been based on. What did Jesus do in his life? What action did he take? How did he live out the faith that he proclaimed? How did he, how did he live out um, the things he taught? What did Jesus do in his life? Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. We're, we're stepping into a new part of this series. Um, entitled, Jesus, uh, Jesus Managed His Message Consistently. Jesus managed his message consistently. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is stepping forward into the public realm of ministry uh, one of the first times. And he is quoting the Old Testament here. This is a bold step in the synagogue for anyone to take. But Jesus confidently takes the scroll, steps up to the front, and reads this passage of Scripture, which was a prophetic uh, Scripture about the coming Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that right off the bat got, a, got some people riled up, got them a little bit... Angry, who was this young man who stood up and has claimed to be the fulfillment of this prophecy? Well, Jesus knew who he was. But Jesus also knew that it was going to take more than mere words, more than simply reading scripture to prove that he was who he was. Jesus was and remains the ultimate example of successful, meaningful, and productive godly living. Not only did Jesus manage his personal life, which is what we finished up talking about last week. Not only did he manage his personal life, he went outside of his personal life and actually lived what he believed, preached, and taught in front of others. Jesus didn't just teach it. He didn't, didn't just stand up, uh, didn't, didn't just get in front of people and, and preach something. Jesus actually lived what he taught. There was meat on the bones of Jesus' belief system. Say that again. There was meat on the bones of Jesus' belief system. It wasn't simply a book that he waved. It wasn't simply uh, something he wrote on Facebook. Jesus actually lived every day of his life, every day that he ministered in front of people, what he taught. There was meat on the bones of his belief system. And if we're going to live effectively in the same way that Jesus did, then there must be meat on the bones of our belief system as well. Listen, we live in a time where Christianity is probably as unpopular as, as it has ever been in our nation, in the world, in fact. It's not popular to be a Christian. I don't know if you know that or not. It's not popular to believe what we believe. And that lack of popularity has, has kind of spread its way into the church as well, to where we as a church are beginning, not, not necessarily new life, but the church universal 
has begun to kind of water down its message. And we've become afraid of standing up for what we believe because we don't want to be branded. Because branding is what's all, what it's all about today. We don't want to be talked about in a negative way. We don't want to suffer the repercussions that come with that kind of an attitude from others towards us on Facebook because things go viral today. And we don't want to be that one that is persecuted for what we believe. Yet, if we're going to live a life that matters for Jesus Christ the way he did, then those are the risks we have to take. Those are the risks we have to take. Remember, we read the verses last week. Jesus himself said, don't marvel, don't be surprised if the world hates you. He didn't say, don't be surprised if the world disagrees with you. He said, don't be surprised when the world hates you because they hated me as well. And that's what you're supposed to stand for. That's what you're called to stand for, to live what you claim to believe. It's one thing to make a claim. It's another thing to live it out, right? Ours can't simply be a say-so faith that shows up on Sundays and disappears during the week. It must become a lifestyle that is woven with biblical principles, attitudes, and actions. Biblical principles, attitudes, and actions. Remember what James tells us. James says, listen, faith without works is dead because it's alone. You're not proving anything. You're not proving anything by simply telling me what you believe. Show me what you believe. Show me what you believe. Minister to me. Listen, man, we've got a world crying out for help right now. We've got a world in desperate need of Jesus. Not in desperate need of my opinion. Not in desperate need of, of my take on things. We have a world that's in desperate need of Jesus Christ and his love. What did Jesus do? He loved people every day of his ministry. And he lived what he claimed to believe. R.C. Sproul says, The issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. That's a powerful statement. It's not whether we believe in God, but it's whether we actually live every day as if we do believe the God that we claim to believe in. Man, that's called living a life of faith. That's called living a life of purpose. That's called living a life that is just infused with the principles of the gospel. That is just infused. That, that comes down to the way you treat your family, the way you treat your friends, the way you treat your coworkers, the way you treat your finances, the way you treat others, the strangers on the street. Is it easy? Not at all. Not at all. It's one of the most difficult things you'll do. But it's what we need to do. How did Jesus show those around him, believers and unbelievers, that he was serious about his beliefs, that it wasn't a fad or a passing fancy, that his faith was here to stay as was he? How did Jesus do that? How did he show people, not just tell them, how did he show them that this was something that was here to stay? When we understand this, then we'll begin to understand how we can live in front of those in our lives. Not a faith that shows up sometimes, but a faith that is life-changing 
for a lifetime. That's what we're here for. That's what we should desire. It's not just something that we have for now. It's not just something to get us through a difficult period of our life. We want a faith that goes with us every day of our lives until God calls us home and affects everything we do, infects everything we do. And we want people to see that it's real. That's what we want. That's what we should want. That's what Jesus did. See, Jesus doesn't want to improve you. He wants to transform you. Jesus doesn't want you to be the best version of you. Jesus wants to transform you into who he wants you to be. There's a big difference. The best version of me is really not that good. Okay? Seriously. Because it's still me. But if I allow Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to work in my life and change my attitude from the inside out, change my belief system from the inside out, change my heart and my passion from the inside out, then I'm going to be transformed into who he wants me to be, who he's called me to be, and who his kingdom needs me to be to reach others. So Jesus doesn't want to improve you. He wants to transform you. Religion appeals to us because it's something we do to feel better about ourselves. But it's not God's way. It's not transformative. Stop worshiping Christianity and start worshiping Jesus. Stop worshiping Christianity, folks. When we get caught up in the... You know, we've, we, when we went through the transformation here at New Life and made some changes, there were people that actually said to me, Tim, they said to me, we've never done it this way before. I know. I know we never have. But let's try it anyway. Some of you, you're afraid to take a step of faith for Jesus Christ in your life because you've never lived that way before. You've never stepped out on faith and had to trust him because you've always been able to meet your own needs. And sometimes you've just become stopped or stifled in your walk with the Lord and you don't go any farther because you say, I've never done that before. I've never taken that step of faith before and I'm afraid. Of course you're afraid. Life is about overcoming fear in difficult situations at times. And Jesus said, I will go with you no matter where you, you go. If you will follow me, if you will walk the path that I've laid in front of you, I'll be with you. There's nowhere that you will go. There's nowhere I will ask you to, to go to in your life. There's nothing I will ask you to do that I will not go with you through. Take heart. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Jesus didn't just speak what he believed. He lived it out as well. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Jesus didn't just preach a good sermon. He lived one. He lived a good sermon every day of his life. And that's what we're going to be looking for. Now, we all have a message to share. We all have a story. I have two incredibly special people in my life right now. And they share one thing in common. 
they've been blessed with the ability to talk. My wife, Erin, and my oldest son, Zach. They both have uh, the spiritual gift of gab, right? When we went over to Flavia and Osvaldo's yesterday, we, we, we got out of the car and we walked across the street and we got all set up and Erin had to go back to the car for something and she just started a conversation with their neighbor across the street, right? And just started talking and talking. And next thing I know, Aaron is sitting on their front porch with the water, having a conversation. Because this woman was dealing with some things in her life, and Aaron was able to minister life to her. She's a believer who is struggling with her faith and struggling with some other issues in her life. And Aaron was able to minister Christ to her and speak life to her. I love that about my wife. Our assistant pastor got up there this morning and shared his heart with you. They thought they were going to lose their mom this week. It was difficult, difficult time. And they found out that she has MS. That's no picnic. And those of you who have parents who are advanced in age and who are facing health challenges know that it's no picnic to watch your parents go through those difficulties. What I love about the two special people in my life that have been blessed with the gift of gab is that, and if I'm honest, I've probably been given that gift as well, uh, is that they are willing to share that with others. They're willing to put their life out there for others to see because that's how we learn and grow. When we find out that other people are going through the same struggle that I'm going through, when we find out that other people are dealing with the same kind of issues that I deal with in my life, yet they deal with it in a different way. They deal with it with Jesus Christ. They apply and appropriate his grace. They take the principles that they've learned about faith in their own Bible reading, in their Bible studies in church, and the things they've learned and heard in sermons, and, and the things they learn through great Christian music, and they apply that to their lives. And they, yes, they still go through struggles, but they face those struggles with power and passion and overcoming victory, the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. See, man, that's living your faith every day in a way that is transformative to you and challenging and becoming transformative for others. See, Christian, that's what we need. We don't need to capitulate and we don't need to put our faith on a back burner so that we don't offend other people with it. We need to stand up proudly and say, I am a Christian and this is how I endure life. Not in an arrogant way, not in a you versus them way, but in a way that says, listen, I have found a way to live overcoming victory in my life and I want to share that with you because I know you're having difficulty. That's what Jesus did. It's exactly what Jesus did. Now, there are some basic, basic principles that Jesus applied when sharing his message in every situation of life that I believe we can learn from, from and apply to our lives as well. The first thing I see that Jesus did is this. Jesus confronted sin honestly. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We don't want to talk about this in church anymore. We don't talk about... We, why? Because when we mention the word sin as Christians towards others, all of a sudden we are judging people. 
And we're not called to be judged. You're not, stop judging me. Man, everybody's become so sensitive. Before you judge me (laughs) for having this as my first point, let me explain what I'm talking about. Because Jesus came into this world to deal with the sin problem of the world. The sole focus and purpose of Jesus coming to this world was to deal with the sin question. Was to deal with the sin issue. So as we live for Jesus every day of our lives, this is an issue we must address. Now, like it or not, sin is a reality, and it's the reason that every human being is born separated from God. The Bible clearly teaches us that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is a fact. If you believe the Bible, even if you don't believe the Bible to be true, that is a fact. Okay, we're all born into sin. And we're separated from God because of our sin. Something had to be done. We could not solve our sin problem ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you're saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, not by works, not because of your good works. The gift of God of eternal life is given to you and offered to you, not because of your good works, not because you're such a wonderful person, not because you vote the right way in October or November, whenever it is we vote. It's because Jesus Christ offered you the gift of eternal life. It's not by works. If it was, we'd, we could brag about ourselves and brag about our goodness. But we're not good enough. We can't be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, came down and died on the cross for our sins. The Bible said he, paid one, he made one sacrifice for sins forever. He paid the price for our sins. And now he offers the, the overcoming gift of salvation that washes away your sin and gives you the gift of eternal life simply by confessing the name of Jesus Christ and asking him to come into your heart. And he says, I will transform your life. 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. No, I get it wrong. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you a new person. And that offer is there. It's the reason sin is the reason that believers don't always accomplish what we are tasked with or fall away and become ineffective. Therefore, we must be willing to confront sin both in our lives and in the lives of others with whom we have influence. Now, that's the black and white statement right there. That's the black and white. How many of you are, are, I asked this Wednesday night in our Bible study, how many of you are black and white people? You see the world and you see life in black and white. Maybe a lot of of people, it's either right or wrong, man. It's right or wrong, right? And I think, that, I, I think that needs to be most of, that, that needs to be us to a degree. And that black and white statement is what we are tasked to do. But how we confront sin in our lives and especially in the lives of others is the key. See, Jesus tells us in his word, we must speak the truth, but with love. Our nation right now is suffering from a severe lack of love a severe lack of compassion, a severe lack of understanding, a severe lack of wanting to know what value there is in someone who disagrees with us. Man, that's when you know, that's that's when you know you really want to be a well-rounded person, especially a well-rounded Christian. And let's not just say our nation, our churches today, 
are separated by that. We want what we want. We, we're, it's like that old song, I want my MTV. I want things the way I want them, and I want it that way now. You could be, who is it? Was it Baruka? Baruka in uh, Willy Wonka? Don't care how I want it now? Oh, come on, humor me, folks. Seriously. I'm not the only one that's watched that movie like 700 times. Right? Okay? I've got depth. Willy Wonka. There's deep meaning to that movie. All right. But how we confront it, how we deal with it is the key ingredient as to whether we point people to Jesus or turn them away from Jesus. Understand that. How you deal with sin in your own life and especially how you deal with sin in the lives of others. How you confront it. That's the difference between whether you draw people to Jesus Christ, point them to Jesus Christ, like he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me, or whether you turn them away from Jesus Christ. Listen, you've not been, you will not find in scripture the, the, the verse that says, make up a sign that says God hates you and walk around holding it. You're not going to find it. Okay. You're not going to find a sign that says, you're not going to find a verse in the Bible that says, stand for your political beliefs more than anything else. It's just not going to be there. Some of us hold on to our, our own desires in life because that's the way we're wired. And we're more concerned about being right, whether it's in the political realm, even in sports, man, right? Or in anything. We want to win an argument rather than win a soul. And we would, rather, we would rather make our point and drive our point home to people rather than see them come to know Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's best just to keep your mouth shut and not express your opinion too vehemently because Jesus Christ died for that person. And my opinion as to whether the, the, the Dodgers are going to win the National League or the Brewers are going to win the National League, or the Braves. Who really thinks the Braves have a shot, right? I'm, I'm using this as, as a mild example of the way we get in some areas. Really doesn't matter. What matters is, am I showing them the love of Jesus while I'm having this discussion? Am I conducting myself during this Discussion, which is really an argument if I let myself go, in the manner, the same manner that Jesus would conduct himself. And see, he's given us a lot of illustrations. He's given us a lot of examples. You look at the example of him talking with, in John chapter 3, when talking with Nicodemus, who put some hard questions to Jesus. And Jesus just calmly answered them. You look at the way Jesus dealt with the woman at the well. A very difficult situation. And she put some hard questions to Jesus. And he answered her with love and compassion. So it's incredibly important that as we stand for and stand against sin and deal with sin, that we do so in a way that Jesus would. And the way he did. How did he deal with it? Because I know that's an ominous statement to put up there. And I noticed through some body language that some of you just kind of sat back and it's like, okay, where's he going with this? So let's see. What are we talking about in confronting sin honestly? First of all, in his own life and his own ministry, Jesus faced temptation with biblical principles. 
Jesus faced temptation in his life with biblical principles. Jesus had to deal with temptation. Of course he did. When he was confronted by Satan in the, the wilderness, Satan tempted him. Tempted him to, Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. <laughs> if you're the son of God, you've got the power. I mean, turn the stones into bread. It's that easy. Simple thing. That might not have been a temptation to me. Turning it into Captain Crunch peanut butter cereal? <laughs> I might have struggled with that one. Right? He tempted him with earthly power. But Jesus confronted every temptation that he faced in life with biblical principles. And he challenges us to do the same. Matthew 4, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. When Jesus said that, worship the Lord and serve him only, what he was saying is, listen, if I want to overcome temptation, and if you want to overcome temptation and sin in your life, you've got to put God first. You've got to have God first in your life above your own desires. Because that's what James tells us is the reason that we fall. When lust conceives, it brings forth sin. You see, it's not a sin to be tempted. We're all going to be tempted. It's giving in to them to the temptation where we fall. You have the chance to either overcome and live in victory or give in to sin and fall. The goal of a Christian who is wanting and striving to live for Christ and be powerful and have a true testimony of overcoming overwhelming victory is the one who will fight through the struggle to please himself or herself and know that serving God and glorifying God is more important than the gratification that I am seeking at this moment. Overcoming temptation with biblical principles, putting God first. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. There's nothing more important than that. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we we're told no temptation has overcome you, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not allow you or will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You will not be tempted with something you cannot handle. Why? Because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Biblical principle, man. That's all we need to do. How do you get to that point? Man, you, you read the scriptures. You study your Bible. I know it's tough, especially when everything's on a screen. Put your Bible on your phone and you can read it on your phone. That way you're still in front of a screen. <laughs> the Word of God, man, read it, dig into it, chew on it. Let it. How many of you ever had one of those days where you've, read, you've had your devotions in the morning? And it's bothered you all day. Right? How many of you ever had that? Oh, man. And sometimes you just, it, it's, it's irritating. Right? Man, it's the Holy Spirit saying, listen. Listen, I want this to get into your life. 
I want this to get into your mind. I want this to get into your heart. This is a lesson you need to learn. I fight against that sometimes. I really do. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Oh, that's right. (laughs) And sometimes for me, it takes me a little bit longer. And I have to chew on that for a few days. Why? Not because the word of God is not plain and clear. Not because the Holy Spirit will not give me understanding because he's promised. Because I don't want that lesson. I want to fight against it. It's like algebra two for me. Or geometry. Geometry. Oh, geometry. Oh, my goodness. That's where I, lo- that's where I lost my love of math with geometry. I really did. Some of you, you're, you're mathematics freaks. You love it to death. Chrissy's a math teacher. She's like, you know, up here. I got to geometry. I'm like, why, God? What did you invent this for? This is, this, uh, no. And I wish I would have paid attention because geometry is one of those things that I would have used in my life if I'd have known it. In my spiritual life, it's the same way. I fight against lessons that I know I need to learn. Yet when I finally say, okay, God, I hear you. I allow that to get into my spirit. And it becomes transformative. And it helps me to see my life in a different way. And more importantly, beyond that, it helps me to see other people in a different way. I can deal with the temptations in my life in a better, more powerful way. I I have the power and the freedom now to overcome sin that would have easily taken me down before. Because now I've, I've learned the lesson from the scripture and I've begun to apply it to my life. And now, now, I'm an overcomer. Because I've allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to grow me and strengthen me in an area of my life that was weak. And I am confronting sin in my life now the way Jesus did. I'm confronting sin in my life by applying biblical principles. Sometimes that means not answering people back when they come at you with a sharp comment. Because we know that we have the power to obliterate them with our words. Let me tell you, as a guy who doesn't really, I'm not really too concerned about, um, I'm I'm very comfortable in who I am as a man. So it doesn't really really bother me. Um, I can handle myself in life situations. I'm not talking about fights or anything. But I'm I'm just very comfortable being a man. Tell you what, what hurts me more than anything is when those who are dear to me cut me with their words. Mm-hmm. It's hurtful. It's hurtful. Especially when people take those things that you did out of love and bring them back and just carve you up. It's very difficult. Very difficult. And what's even more difficult is not to respond back in kind. Right? Because many times the... the It's the wounded animal that strikes back the most ferociously. And sometimes we really do bite that bloody tongue if we want to be like Jesus. Bible says when he was beaten and reviled, he did not return in kind. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. You see, that's confronting sin the way Jesus did in our own lives. I can't control what anybody else does. 
I can't control what anybody else says. I can't control what other people think about me. Now, I can present a persona to the world, and I can live in such a way that I think I'm being a good example, a good friend, a good whatever, but I can't control how that's received by other people. Therefore, because I can't control how I'm received by others, it is not my responsibility to control their response. What is my responsibility, and I hope we don't get too twisted here, is controlling my response to their response. That make sense? I've got to make sure that I don't give back what I've just received. That's confronting sin in my life the way Jesus did. Because I need to make sure that I am dealing with it properly as a follower of Jesus Christ. We're all going to face it, man. We're all going to face temptations. Paul didn't say, hey, if it, if it happens, if you're ever tempted, here's some advice. No, Paul says you're going to be tempted. That's, a, that's an idea of it, it's, it, it's actually going to happen. You're going to be tempted in life. They're coming. And we always think of, of temptation in, in, in the sexual area of being impure in our marriage. Or we think of temptation in, in, uh, in, in the area of food. Or we think of temptation in certain areas like that. But man, listen, the temptation to be a horrible person to somebody else, to respond to them with evil words, man, that's the most destructive for the kingdom of God. Truly. You want to destroy your witness and you want to turn people away from Jesus Christ? Respond back in an evil, ugly way and show them not what Jesus would say. Show them what you really want to say at that moment. Quickly, how else did Jesus confront sin? Jesus stood for the truth and good and spoke out against lies and evil. Jesus stood for, his, for the truth and for good and spoke out against lies and evil. John 18, 37. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and, come, and came into the world is to testify of the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus came to testify of the truth. You know what he was saying there? I didn't come, I didn't come to this world to establish a kingdom and overtake the world. That's what the Jews were looking for. The Jews were looking for an overcoming king to, to take them away from the rule of, of, uh, of Rome and to set up a new kingdom. That's not what Jesus came for. He said, I came here to testify of the truth. I came here to bring truth in the world. I came here to bring light into the world. That's my purpose. That's your purpose now too. Because remember, when Jesus left this world, he now said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I came to bring the light now that you've found me, now that you've received me and accepted me into your life. Now that I am your savior, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill can't be hidden. People don't light a candle and put it under a basket. They take that candle and they set it up in a high place so that it will give light to the house. Gabriel and Michael are eight years old now. They're getting ready to go into... Uh, third grade at Maple Shade here in East Longmeadow, they changed schools at third grade. For Gabriel and Michael, uh, coming from their background, from their history, any big change is very traumatic for them. They've been, they've been having a little bit of difficulty with it, and we see how it, not, not with us, they're not acting out, but they regress a little bit and become very insecure. Because for them, any big change, 
usually comes with a change of home because we were their sixth home. So there's always that fear that they're going somewhere else. Well, one of the benefits has been that Gabriel and Michael have started reading because they were told that going into third grade, reading is going to be a big deal. So now, at night, Gabriel and Michael, we, we kind of heard, we leave the closet light on in their, in their room, and I noticed that they've changed where they sleep on their bed. Michael's on one side of the room, Gabriel's on the other side, and Michael moved his pillow from one end of the bed to the other. And then I noticed that when I went to um, get some stuff out of their room, there were books on the floor and books in their bed. And I'm like, that's cool. So I put Michael to bed one night and I said, Michael. He said, Dad, I want to sleep at this end. I said, okay. I said, Michael, is it because you want to read a book and the light from the closet shines right there? And he looked at me like, I'm brilliant. My dad is the essence of all knowledge. He figured my secret out. Like, that's cool, bud. I'm glad. Just don't stay up all night reading. Okay, dad. Gabriel, same thing. For Gabriel, it's even better. I mean, it's great for Michael, but for Gabriel, who he's got that, he's got a, a, a learning disability that, that stops it, it blocks a short-term memory. Love seeing Gabriel read because that makes those, that part of his brain fire that really needs to be strengthened. So Aaron, I told her about it, and Aaron goes and gets this light, right? This desk lamp. And it's got like a, a, like a 9,000 watt bulb in it. <laughs> Mike, I'm serious, man. It's, Mike, it's, it's amazing. It lights up the sky. And, and she got a, an extension cord, she plugs this thing in, and started out on the floor. Well, it didn't give enough light when it was on the floor, okay? So she started moving it, and Aaron found the absolute best place in the room to put that light so that both boys could read their books at night. That's awesome. That's what we should do in our lives. Find the absolute best setting for the light of Jesus Christ in our life. So it shines the greatest amount of light for everyone that sees us, everyone that knows us, everyone that we talk about. So the light of Jesus will be able to shine in their lives so that they can read Jesus every day. We don't hide our light. We shine our light. That's what we're supposed to do. Our sole purpose <laughs> as believers it's to tell of and live by the truth. John 4, 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Our lives are supposed to be about truth. We're supposed to live truth. We're supposed to confront sin with truth. Sin in our own lives. We're supposed to shine truth to this world. How do we confront truth? Listen, man, I don't walk around and judge people and point fingers at them and tell them they're, they're terrible and they're going to hell for what they're doing. I live truth. I show them Jesus. And when they ask me, yes, we have that conversation. I'm 
here to live truth. He challenged people to be better. James 1.27, we'll jump right to that slide. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You want true religion? You want truly living out your faith? Then care about other people. Open up your heart to other people. Those in need. You'd be amazed when I talk to other pastors from other churches or other people around the country about our boys and how many people say, I, and I, I get it, I, I, I could never do what you did. I get that because it's very difficult taking children in and dealing with the, um, the, the struggles they have. But what amazes me is when people have no compassion on these children who, the, who through no fault of their own are in the foster care system and are beaten and abused and left for dead almost. Yeah, you may not have the capacity, and it's no judgment on anybody, you may not have the capacity or the ability, and God may not have given you the gifting to be a foster parent or a foster adoptive parent, but God sure has given you a heart to care about these kids. God sure has given you the ability to be concerned about their life. And to at least be, and I, I, I love our church and the fact that you give us the opportunity to open up our church once a month or any other time we can to a foster adoptive um, um, support group. It helps. And let me tell you what that has done. It hasn't just helped those people because my boys can't wait for that, that one day a month. that they, get, they don't know what the connection is, but they know that there's a connection with them and those other kids. It's... it's it's very unique. What that has done for a lot of people that come to this, you might know this because as a, as a foster adoptive mother, um, people that get into the foster parenting business, or not business, foster parenting world, don't always have the highest view of church and of God. In fact, it's very negative by many of them. But what, by opening up our church to this group, what we have shown is we don't care who you are, where you're from, what your choices in life are. We don't care anything about your background. What we care about is supporting you as you support these children. Because that's what we've been commanded to do by Jesus Christ. And we love you, we love your kids, and we will help you. And it has changed their minds. And I believe we've had some visit our church We've had some inquire about our faith. That's what it's about. Becoming all things to all people so that we might by all means win some. And I believe the day is coming when we're going to see people come to know Christ or at least get to that point of decision because this church has opened up its heart to those who not many churches will. Lastly, our goal should be restoration, not judgment and division. Don't take, here's, the, here's where we struggle most, Christian. I know we're going a little bit late. Let's just wrap this up quickly. Here's where we struggle mostly with. We take the sin and choices of others personally. We think, they're take, we think they're, they have sinned against us. When David said in Psalm 51, against you and you only I've sinned, God, and done this evil in your sight. I don't know you an apology. <laughs> My life falls apart. Unless I beat you up or something, I don't know you an apology. 
Some kid in our church makes a bad decision. They don't owe us an apology. We owe them love. Because the Bible says, restore them in the spirit of meekness, lest you yourself are tempted to fall. See, we like to pick out the sins that are very, very visible. Yeah, we don't want to deal with the sins of darkness in people's lives that they hide and don't talk about at parties. We haven't been called to judge others. We've been called to restore them. Restore the lost to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what their particular sin of choice is. The fact of the matter is they're separated from Jesus Christ. And what they need is not my judgment on their life. What they need is Jesus Christ and his love. And as far as believers who fall away and fall into sin, not my job to go and point a finger at them and call them names and tell them how horrible they are. It's my job, according to the word of God in Ephesians chapter 6, or Galatians chapter 6, I'm sorry, those that are spiritual, I'm called to restore them in the spirit of meekness. I'm called to love my brothers and sisters. It's been said many times that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. And that's the truth. We beat them up. We make them feel worse. I remember Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, told the story of a pastor in Chicago, worked at the mission dad that you used to work at when you were stationed at Great Lakes. And uh, he was walking down the street and he met a prostitute. And this prostitute was prostituting out her four-year-old daughter because she could get more money for her than for herself. And he said, ma'am, isn't there somebody that can help you family? She said, no, I'm all by myself. He said, what about a church? Isn't there a church you could go to, to help you out? She said, church? This is a true story. She said, church? Why would I go to a church? They'd only make me feel worse about myself than I already do. When that is the reputation of those who claim to follow and love Jesus Christ... When people who fall out away from Christ, fall into sin, make some bad choices, do some things that separates them from God, if we make that separation deeper, what good are we? What good is your faith? How are you living your faith effectively in this world? You're not. You're pushing people away. We are called to restore them, to love them, to help them. I know Paul says, considering yourself lest you also be tempted... I think a lot of times what we should say is we restore them in the spirit of meekness considering ourselves because you know who you are in your own personal life. Right? You know who you are. You know what you've done. You know what you struggle with. It may not be what other people can see like their sin is, but you know what you struggle with. So you just need to love on them and restore them because they're in the same struggle that you are. Jesus dealt with sin, confronted sin honestly. It's not about judging people. It's not about hating people. It's not about pushing them away. It's about seeing where they're at, knowing what their need is, and loving them anyway. Because that's what Jesus would do. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for this wonderful crowd today. Thank you for the freedom to worship you, the freedom to share your word. Thank you for the indulgence of this group, Lord. 
willing to stay a little bit longer as we got into this message. Father, more than anything, thank you for your grace and your love and compassion. Dear Jesus, if we just study your ministry and your words, there's so much, so much to learn. Not only do I stand amazed in your presence, I stand humbled. I kneel humbled in your presence because of the way you lived and the way you treated people and the way you just loved people no matter what. Truth be told, God, is that I know that that's an area of life that I struggle with. And if anybody here is like me, Lord, they struggle with it too. God, help us to understand that confronting sin is not about judging people and, and, and getting in people's faces and having arguments and holding signs. It's not about holding rallies. It's about seeing people the way you see them. Understanding that sin is what separates us all from you and that you have given us the key to changing their eternity. Thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you so much for your compassion. And God, may we open up our hearts and allow your Holy Spirit to minister those things to us so that we might minister to those outside that same grace and love and compassion. God, as we go from this place today, may we go forward as worshipers. May we go forward as Believers, may we go forward as emissaries of your kingdom, taking your word, taking your light to a world that is lost and dying and confused and angry. May we minister peace and love and grace. And through that, may we show them who you are so that they will have the opportunity to make the choice for you. Bless us, Lord. May we honor you in all things. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray all of this. Amen.